Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. Exactly five years ago, Rooftop Church launched. It was launched officially in hopes to reach the lost, in hopes to create a spiritual community where many could call their home. And today we celebrate a very special day. Today we celebrate Rooftop Churning turning five years old. It's a huge day. Today we celebrate God's faithfulness over our church. We, se- we celebrate God's faithfulness of our individual lives as, as well as our corporate lives as God has allowed each and every one of us to be present here at church Many of us have met in the church community, and we have become, we have forged our relationship into lifelong friends. Some of us, we're barely joining in this community. We're getting to know the church. So it doesn't matter where where our journeys have crossed. It doesn't even matter if you're visiting our church for the first time. We love that you're here, and we would ask that you would uh, stick around as we celebrate. Uh, Even after service is over, we will celebrate over a huge lunch in the NPR multi-purpose room. Today, we're going all out, guys. So we're not going to eat outside. We're not going to let you guys eat delicious tacos out in the sun. We have catered food, so you can eat inside. Is that good news? All right, maybe for some of us. So stick around, and we will love it if you can join us for lunch celebration. Well, today, I have the immense pleasure and honor to introduce to you a dear friend of mine. Our relationship goes back... uh, I'm going to say this, over 25 years now, we first met at church. I was a freshman in high school, uh, college, and he was just a freshman in high school. We met where I was a Sunday school teacher. He was just a random dude, a troublemaker from Cerritos, rolled into my church, and that's how our relationship began. And over the next decade or so, we were able to uh, serve in the same ministry. We, we were on the same pastoral staff, and, and I just remember this. Uh, during the most pivotal point of our ministry lives, I've had the honor to be commissioned by this man. First, to the country of Afghanistan. Second, as we planted Rooftop Church. And God just brought that to memory. That, I mean, that's an immense, immense honor. So that's, that's him right there. Um, you know, seeing and knowing someone over the span of three decades, uh, it, it's quite a blessing, to say the least. Able to see the... The transformation through God's grace. And uh, if there's a word for me to describe Pastor James, I think when I think of him, I, I think of the phrase or the word, he's a favored man of God. He's a favored, favored man. Uh, incredibly gifted. Uh, not only just a mini- uh, ministerial gifts, but he's just a, a really beloved. He's easily the most well-liked person wherever he goes in. I mean, he's just such a favored man. And I began to think about this this past week. I said, God, why, why is he such a favor man? Why is there so much favor on this man? And, and I'm not sure if it was the Holy Spirit, if it was just me thinking about this. I'm pretty sure it's, it's the Spirit. And, and I realized it's because of his faithfulness. At every turn in his life, especially when faced with uncertainties and troubles in life, at every point, he responded to God with such honor and integrity. And with tenacity, he clung to God. And I think as a result, uh, with such faith seen in, in faith giants like Apostle Paul, 
King David, even Moses, um, all these names come to mind. And, and I've often said this over the years, uh, Pastor James is a better version of everything that I do as a pastor. He's a better preacher than I am. He's more patient. He's more gentle. He's funnier. And that, that hurts to admit, but he's a lot funnier than I am. He's more faithful than I am. You know, uh, it's just everything. He's just a, a, there's incredible, incredible anointing on this man. And, and I, I should stop because uh, I could go on and on and on here. But, you know, since, since last ministering together in 2014, um, God has moved him and his a beautiful family to the city of Chicago. Very cold place. Uh, I, I get cold just hearing about the stories of Chicago. He's a teaching pastor. He's a campus pastor at the Church of the Beloved. Uh, I mean, guys, he's a pastor through and through, and we are so honored to have him in our midst. And his beautiful wife, Stephanie, is here. His son, active man, active child of God, is running around somewhere here in church. Uh, we, we just love that he gets to come here and bless us with God's word on this very special day as Rooftop Church is turning five years old. So I'm going to stop talking. Church, Rooftop Church, would you please help me welcome Pastor James to the front. All right, rooftop, good afternoon. All right, as Pastor Scott was um, describing that person, that uh, person that I would like to know as well, um, my wife was literally next to me and out loud, she said, what, really? <laughs> so there's a lot you don't know, right? Um, but rooftop, good afternoon, and uh, man, uh, just right off the bat, happy anniversary, and I, I'm deeply thankful I'm blessed to be here. I'm crying because I had um, Paco Maggie's last night and uh, just really felt so good. So, um, but I'm um, just deeply grateful and thankful to be here. And uh, before I kind of get into the word, and I want to just mention that I'm, I'm really thankful to be here because you guys might not know this, but I think about you guys a lot and from Chicago. And it's because my son... Uh, I don't know if there's a, if we can show this picture. My son, every night, not that one. <laughs> My son, every night when he goes to bed, he has these top five blankets that he wears for every nap and every time he goes to bed. And, and one of his top five is the rooftop blanket. I don't know if you guys can see that. You guys see that? That's you guys. And, 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 and you guys have helped my son go to sleep. And so I'm deeply thankful to you guys because it's my favorite time of the day. Is when he goes to sleep. So, thank you guys for putting him to sleep. And um, but on a more serious note, um, it's funny because I actually had this introduction prepared about how Scott and I met, and and Pastor Scott actually took my introduction. But um, but it is true. Uh, back in 1995, I wasn't a believer at that time. In nine, 1995, I was a freshman in high school, and I, I thought Scott was like 35 at the time. But he was. I just found out. I just found out you're only a freshman in college. And uh, no, but we we weren't that far apart in age, but he actually happened to be my uh, my Bible study teacher, my first Bible study teacher. And two years later, in 1997, I came to know Christ. And then um, within about two three years, I felt this call to ministry to preach. And somehow in the year 2000, the Lord led me back to this church. And um, and we and as soon as I stepped foot on the campus, coming out of the parking lot. 
Pastor Scott recognizes me. And I didn't know he would, he would remember him, but he saw me and he remembered me. And he asked me if I could serve with him in the youth ministry. He was the youth pastor at that time. And so I, I gladly accepted because I wanted to eventually do ministry. And I, I saw something in Pastor Scott that I, I wanted to learn from him. I wanted to be able to model his heart. I, just re, I remember just the way he led our Bible study class. And he had such an impression on us. And so I gladly wanted to serve with him. And then in 2001, just one year into serving with him, I was a sophomore in college. Uh, he actually gave me my first platform to preach my very first sermon. And so I'm very indebted to your pastor. But also to say that if this message today really sucks, you know who to blame. It ain't my, it ain't my fault, all right? So just email him at scott at rooftopchurch.com. All right. If you guys have a Bible, please go ahead and meet me in Mark chapter 9. We're going to look at verse 2 through 8. We'll pray. And then we'll get into the Word. Mark chapter 9, verse 2. This is the reading of God's word. It says, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them uh, Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud and said, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. The title of my message today is, But Jesus Only. would Would you bow with me as I pray for us? Uh, Father, I want to take a moment for us to just pause and, and recognize that, um, that you not only birthed this church, but the, you have been with this church um, every single day. There was not a day in which you were lost. There, there were probably many days when either the leadership or the people uh, weren't very clear of what to do or what the next steps were or what the 10-year vision was. But God, we thank you for your faithfulness. You have never been lost. And you've been faithful. You've been kind. You've been generous. And we might not see it in the moment, but even here in this room, there are lives that have been impacted and, and changed and transformed, not because of church plant strategies, or programs, but because of your faithfulness, because of your spirit that keeps on pouring out, even when we're filling ourselves with other things, that your pursuit of us is far greater. So thank you for the ways in which you continue to call us back to Jesus. And I pray that in these next few moments, God, would you use me just to that end? I don't want, I don't want anyone to walk away today thinking about a particular story or just some points or, or just to be entertained. I want them to walk away seeing Jesus more clearly. 
And I want them to go back home today saying, there's nothing sweeter than Jesus. And that you would continue, God, to be our greatest treasure. That the greatest treasure of rooftop is having Jesus. And so I pray that to that end, would you use me, God, to your glory and the good of rooftop. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, um, today we're looking at this story, what's called the transfiguration. Transfiguration. My favorite story in all the Bible said nobody. Right? Nobody ever said in Mark chapter 9, verse 2 through 8, that this is their favorite part of the Bible, their favorite story of the Bible. Because if you read from Mark chapter 1, all the way leading up to Mark 9, there's incredible ministry happening, incredible miracles happening. Jesus is a fascinating figure. If, 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 even if you weren't a, a radical follower, even if you didn't completely believe, you were still marveling at something he did or something he said and made you question. There's, it, it's almost like this action movie happening in Mark 1 through 8. And Mark chapter 9, it's just kind of weird. It's kind of spooky. He just transfigures. He just changes in appearance. Now, it doesn't change in his nature, but he shows his disciples a, a deeper sense of who he is. And it's kind of one of those stories. It's like, man, why is this in the Bible? What do we even make of it? How, what, what's the relevance here, right? It's just a story about three disciples walking with Jesus to the mountain. And I think here in this story, in this Transfiguration is an unusual story in the middle of the gospel, in the middle of the journey between Jesus and the followers of Jesus. In the midst of ministry, Jesus pulls them aside and takes them to the mountaintop. And I felt like the Lord led me to this passage because rooftop, in your five-year anniversary, you are not in the beginning phase any longer. You are now in the middle. You are now in the midst of your journey. You are in the middle of discipleship. And just like Jesus taking Peter, James, and John in the middle of all the action, in the middle of all the miracles and ministry, Jesus wanted to show them something better and greater. And what I wanted to share with you, Rooftop, is this. That in the midst of your ministry, in the middle of your discipleship, don't get lost by the secondary. Come back to what's central. And I think Jesus wanted to show them what's central. I think it's easy for us in the middle of things to get lost and to lose focus. And what used to be central becomes secondary. And what's secondary becomes central. And we just start to be led by all these other things that we weren't meant to be led by. And so I wanted to point you to the transfiguration because rooftop, this is in one sense where you are. And so I just wanted to, in these next few moments, share with you guys three words or, or three phrases uh, from this passage that I believe... Um, should be central to your life and central to rooftop church, okay? And these aren't like profound or deep, but they're simple. They're simple, but they're life-changing. And here's the first one. The first thing to keep central is this, is to be led. Be led. Be led by Jesus. And I say be led because our tendency is to be in control. Our tendency is to want to do things our way and my way, right? But the first call of Jesus to the disciples was always follow. Follow me, right? And so the first thing for Rupta for you is this, is to be led. 
And I, I, get, I get this from Mark chapter 9, verse 2. It says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, and he led them. You guys see that? Jesus is the one that led them up a high mountain by themselves. Retreat was not the disciples' uh, uh, idea. It wasn't their uh, vision. It wasn't that something they initiated. Peter, James, and John didn't say, Hey, Jesus, it would be awesome if we could go to the mountaintop. Jesus had an idea. Jesus had a vision. Jesus had a plan. And Jesus is never lost. You guys see that? Have you ever been lost in life? I want you to know that the God never gets lost. And God knows where He's going. God knows where He's leading. And the good news is that He actually wants to lead you. He actually wants to lead a rooftop. And the Bible says that Jesus led them up a high mountain by themselves. And He was, Jesus was transfigured. You see, most of the time, I think we are probably not even thinking about why we do what we do. Like in your life, in your personal life, when's the last time you just sat down and thought about, what am I being led by here? Right? I think a lot of times our, our, our lives are just led by deadlines and duties. Our lives are led by demands and needs. You guys ever been there? Right? I think parents can feel this, uh, you know, maybe on another level, but we're led by uh, all sorts of things and or sometimes, you know, just sin gets in the way. And so we're led by comfort. We're led by success. We're led by self-image, right? You ever been led by expectation, right? Or led by just approval or wanting approval. We're led by money and all these, and the list goes on. We're led by all sorts of things. The question for us and question for you today is, Rooftop, what are you led by? More importantly, who are you led by? Like when you wake up tomorrow, or when you wake up on Tuesday and you go back to work, what is it that you're being led by? And Jesus actually wants to lead you. You know, the first Christians, the early disciples, they were led by Jesus. It, was, it wasn't easy, but it was simple. It was just follow Jesus. Where he goes, go. When he speaks, just listen. Just follow. And so much of our life has been about control and wanting to do and, and putting out our strategy and our plan. And, and so many times I wonder, are, are we being led by Jesus or are we asking Jesus to just follow us? Right? And so the, the first thing I think we ought to see in this passage in the transfiguration is that Jesus actually wants to lead you. That Jesus actually wants to lead rooftop. But here's the revelation. I used to think that when Jesus is leading us, and when Jesus is calling us, I used to think that it's always about a location or some kind of an assignment. If, if, when we think about like Jesus and God leading us, it's like, well, where is He leading, right? We ask the where question. Or, or what is He calling you to do? We ask the assignment question. Where or what? And I began to realize that the revelation here is this, that when Jesus leads you, when Jesus leads rooftop, when Jesus leads me, it's not about the where or the what. It's always about the who. Jesus is not saying just go there and just do your thing or, or, or there because of the assignment. Whenever God calls you somewhere or to something, it's always connected to someone. God wants to lead you Back to Him. And so if God calls you somewhere, it's because He wants to lead you back to Him. 
If God calls you to something, it's because God wants to lead you back to Him. You know how I know this? Because when we, look, we read the Bible and we see all the, the miracles happening, did you know that the end goal was never the miracles? Or the end goal was... Yeah. Thanks, Pastor Scott. I think the, uh, the pastor that normally wears this has stretched, stretched it out. You know what I mean? So just, um, just bear with us here. Yeah. See, when Jesus leads, it's ultimately back to him. And I see this because you think about Jesus. And do you guys remember that story when the disciples were in the, the storm? Right? And then Jesus just like appears out of nowhere and he's walking on the water and he calms the storm. The goal was, the end goal is not ministry or miracle. The end goal was to know him. See, when Jesus is in the storm with his disciples, we're so amazed by just a miracle that we forget the one who caused it. See, see, Jesus, when he leads you to the storm, it's not about the storm. It's not about what he can do. It's so that you would know that Jesus, in the middle of a storm, that he is actually our peace. See, when Jesus leads them to a place where there was no bread, and there's thousands that are starving, that it, it doesn't end with a miracle of the feeding of the thousands, which is awesome in itself. But the goal of leading you to a place where there is no bread is to know that Jesus himself is the living bread. When Jesus leads the Israelites to a place where there was no water, it was to show them that God is the living water. See, whenever God leads you to a miracle, it's even more actually about being with him. See, I think we're so fascinated by what we can do in ministry and with Jesus that we can actually miss Jesus. And so whenever God leads you, whether it's Chicago or to the ends of the earth, it's never about the where or the what. Whenever God leads you, he's trying to lead you back to him. And that's beautiful. So that's God's love. You see, when Jesus is with the blind, it's so that, so that they can know that he heals. When Jesus leads them to the sick, it's so that they can know his compassion. When Jesus leads them to the demonic, it's so that they can know his power. When Jesus leads them to the cross, it's so that they can know his love. Whenever Jesus leads you somewhere or to something, it's always connected back to him. Here's what I want to share with you, Rooftop. When Jesus is leading you, when Jesus leads, the goal is never impact. The goal is intimacy. When God is calling you, when Jesus is leading you, the goal is not in, uh, impact. The goal was always and will always be intimacy. You know, some of you guys here that, that do know me. Are we good? Mic check? All right. So when Jesus leads, the goal is not impact. The goal is intimacy. You know, my wife and I, for those of you guys that know me, um, this has, like, we literally lived uh, uh, three, two, three blocks away from here. We lived on, on Lambert right off the 57. So this is our neck of the woods. This is, this is like home for us. We, uh, before moving to Chicago... I was serving at a church that I've been at as a member for 18 years and on staff for 15 years. 
all of my closest friends, all of my cr- friends that I grew up with in the, in the bubble of Cerritos, they're, they're all still here. And, and, and my family, my parents, my younger brother, they're all within this area. My wife's family and her parents are all within this area. And in 2018, though, uh, I started really having this... Um, you know, discontent in my heart because as I was doing ministry in the church that I've been serving at for 15 years, I was wrestling with this thing of I wanted to be loyal to the church, but I wasn't sure if I was following Jesus. And there was this tension where what's more important, being loyal to a church or following Jesus? And, And most of the time, those two things actually go together. But for me, I, I felt like I was at a place where I, always be, I was led by comfort. I was led by familiarity. I was led by just how easy uh, ministry has been going for me because I've set a culture already or I just know the people so well already. And, and I, I was being led by uh, all these other things. And I just wasn't sure if I was really being led by Jesus. And so my wife and I, we, took, we decided we're going to take three months to pray and ask uh, Jesus, where are you leading us? Are you, are you going to continue to lead us to serve here? Or is there another assignment or is another place for us? And so we didn't, um, I didn't apply to any churches. Uh, we didn't actually tell anybody. We set a time frame after the three months is up. Then we could start talking about, but let's just pray uh, for three months. And so what, what happened was literally within a month of praying, I got two different offers. And this never really happens. You know, I'm not really a known pastor, I don't think. And, and so, but all of a sudden, I get these two separate offers that are not from California. And so I immediately said, no, I, I decline, <laughs> you know. And, and so because I, I, just, I just couldn't imagine me leaving my home for the last 35 years. You know what I mean? I just couldn't imagine leaving my family and my friends and leaving all the things that I'm so familiar with. I couldn't imagine leaving Beach and Malvern and three Korean markets in one intersection. I couldn't imagine leaving King Taco. I just, I just no, I will not go there. I want to, Lord, there must be something else around here. And then a third invitation came to go to Chicago. And what changed for me was I talked to my wife and I said, you know what? In our time of prayer, what seems to be clear is that our time at our church is, is over. And God is leading us to a new place. And then I said, I think God is leading us somewhere far. And I, I wrestled our wrestle. We literally like wrote on a piece of paper pros and cons. What? You know, why, why should we go? Why shouldn't we go? And, and I, I just remember, like, we, we, we were just so scared. Because it, it meant that we were going to have to actually risk a lot and go to the unknown. I've never lived in Chicago. I've never lived outside of California, really. And what really did it for me was, in a time of prayer, um, God said to me, James, you've already said no two times. How long will you keep saying no? How long will you keep saying No. And I knew, I said, Steph, this one feels different. So we packed up our bags. We left our church of 18 years. We left our, 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 uh, our parents. And my, my son had to leave his grandparents, which meant we left free babysitting. Come on, parents. You know what I mean? And, and we left to a place there where we, we, had, we didn't know where to live. We didn't know, you know, we didn't know. We didn't have any close friends. We didn't have any relatives. And, and but we decided to go. So we've been there for about a year and a half. 
Moses' one request to God was not strategy. It wasn't give me leadership strategy. His one longing was this. God, show me your glory. The one thing Moses wanted more than leadership strategy, church planting strategy. How do you you become influential? How, How do you do this? The one thing Moses wanted from God is to be close to God. He said, the one thing more than strategy that is better is intimacy. He said, God, can I see your face? Can I see your glory? And then you guys remember what God said? God said, you can't. God said, I'm sorry. God said, you can't. And here's why. Because what the Old Testament was setting up for us was that we have a holy God. And the humanity is broken. Humanity is tainted by sin. Moses had incredible highlights in his life, but he was not perfect. Moses had incredible things and potential that God saw, but Moses was still a man. See, you had a holy God and you had a man. You had a holy God and you had a man that's been broken and tainted by sin. God said, Moses, you cannot see my face because my face is my glory. And when you see my glory, you will actually die. You can't handle my glory. And so God says, I'll make you a deal. I'm going to put you in the cleft in the rock, and, but I'm going to pass on by. And you're not going to see my face, but you're going to see my back. You're going to see my deltoids. And, and when you see my backside, that'll be enough glory. So God literally passes on by. Moses doesn't even see his face. He just sees the backside. But that was, that was so powerful and glorious and majestic That when Moses came down the mountain back to the people, you know what happened? The Bible says that Moses' face was radiant. It was shining because of the glory that had been upon Moses. And now Moses was reflecting that glory back to the people. Here's what this story is showing us. Is that when when Jesus is transfigured before them... Jesus is trying to show them that he's actually greater than Moses because Moses coming down from the mountain, he only reflected the glory. But in the mountaintop in Mark 9, Jesus produced the glory. Jesus, it, it, it was, Jesus was not reflecting the glory of the Father. Jesus himself produced the glory from who he was. The disciples had no idea who he really was up to that point. They were so attracted by the miracles and the ministry. They didn't know he was the Messiah. And Jesus wasn't just reflecting the glory. Jesus was actually producing the glory because Christ, what it says in Hebrews 1.3, I think we have a, sli- a slide here. Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus or he is the radiance of the glory of God, Right? That he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Moses simply reflected the glory, but Christ himself was the radiance of God's glory. What an incredible experience that Peter, James, and John were having when they're led by Jesus. You guys see that? What Jesus is trying to show these three disciples is that Jesus came fully human but he was also fully divine. He was fully human, but fully divine. Because up to this point, nobody questioned the humanity of Jesus. In other words, nobody walked around wondering, is Jesus human? 
You know what I mean? They saw him walk. They saw him eat. They saw him just, just like any other human. The question of that time was, is Jesus God? Is he God? And Jesus on the mountaintop was, to try, was, was showing them that he's not just human, but he's also fully God. I think up to that point, Peter, James, and John, and the other disciples, I think they had an idea of who Jesus was. I think they probably had their own thoughts, and maybe even their own projections of who they wanted Jesus to be. But on the mountaintop, they saw who he really was. See, up to that point, I think Jesus, the disciples thought that Jesus is an incredible teacher. But on the mountaintop, they saw he's so much more. See, they probably thought that Jesus was an incredible healer. But on the mountaintop, they saw that he's so much more. See, they probably thought Jesus is so compassionate. But on the mountaintop, they saw that he's so much more. They probably thought Jesus can calm the storms and he's powerful. But on the mountaintop, they saw that he's so much more. There's a quote by Tim Keller. He says this. He says, don't come to Jesus because he's useful. Come to Jesus because he's beautiful. See, Jesus is more than ministry. Jesus is more than miracles. See, Jesus is majestic. And Jesus is marvelous. You know, in, in, in the Christian world, and maybe you grew up hearing this kind of message where, where Christianity is about belief and behave. Believe the right things and behave the right way. And I began to realize that that is not Christianity. Christianity is not believe and behave. That's religion. The gospel, the good news is that Christianity is built upon behold. Behold Jesus. Come to Jesus and see that he's not just useful. Come and see that he's beautiful. Come and see that he's sweet. Come and see that he's everything that you've been ever longing for. Come and see that man shall not live on bread alone, but he is the bread. Come and see that he is our greatest treasure. Come and see that he is, he is everything. That you were created for. Jesus is beautiful and he wanted the disciples to see that. He wanted the disciples to, to behold. You notice that on the mountaintop when the glory of God through Jesus is being shown that they actually did not die. See, Moses could not see the glory and the, and the, and the fullness of, of God because, because if you did, you would actually die. And so on the mountaintop, when Jesus is radiating this glory, that he was the very radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of God's nature, and the fact that the disciples did not die in that moment is actually a picture of salvation. It's the picture of the good news that those who stand with Christ shall not die, but live. That those that are with Christ shall not die, but with Christ. Why? Because Christ has a way of covering you from death and bringing you to life. That if you stand with Christ, you shall not die. And when Christ stands with you, you actually live. So go, let me go back to the question, who are you led by? And what are you led by? Because everything else leads to death. And Christ leads to life. Jesus wants to lead you to be led and to behold. Jesus is not just one to believe. Amen? Jesus is one to behold. There is a difference between believing, having cognitive, just a belief that, I, that you think is right, 
And then it's another thing to actually behold something beautiful and marvelous and to just marvel. And to say, man, that's glorious. Jesus wants us to behold him. You know, um, when we, my wife and I, when we got to Chicago, it was the month of April and our anniversary is in the month of May. And so um, we noticed right by the church office was a, a Chicago theater and they were uh, playing the uh, musical Hamilton. Anybody here uh, watched Hamilton, right? And so, um, and so like, it's almost like God just put it there next to the church office so that I treat my wife out, you know? And so, you know, and so that first year of being in Chicago, literally first month of being in Chicago, I, I, I bought tickets to, to go watch Hamilton. And it's not because I wanted to. For those of you guys that know me, like, you guys know how far and distant I am uh, uh, from anything musical or, you know what I mean? And so, and so I'm like, this is not for me. This is all for her. And, I, and then I went to see, you know, and I bought tickets. I'm like, man, this is so expensive. And I'm like, why are, are, is everyone's anniversary on that day? Or like, why? Why are people buying these tickets? Why are people paying so much money for this? And I began to realize that you and I, we are created in such a way that we're actually called to experience beautiful things in life. We're called to encounter incredible, marvelous things in life to the point where you and I will open our wallet and say, take all my money as long as I can experience that. I realize that people are opening up their wallets and paying hundreds of dollars to encounter the glory of what they call Hamilton, you know, and I, but I wanted my wife to be blessed. And so we bought it and and then I realized that I don't think these people are buying tickets um, to convince themselves that, that, that Hamilton is glorious. I think they're already convinced that Hamilton is glorious. Therefore, they're willing to pay the price to go watch it, right? And at our expense, are you with me? At our expense... We go to get something beautiful and marvelous because it's, that's our longing of our heart. We want something incredible. We want to be uh, amazed. We want to be wowed. And so we, at our expense, will go to experience something beautiful. What happened on the mountaintop with Jesus and the disciples was not at their expense, but it was at God's expense. God came from heaven to earth. You say, well, it must have been tough climbing that mountain. And I ask, what's harder, climbing a mountain or coming from heaven to earth? At God's expense, he allowed them to experience something beautiful. Uh, a friend of mine at, at our church in Chicago reminded me, said, James, um, there's an acronym called, uh, uh, acronym of grace. And he said, grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. And at the expense of God, we get to behold God. Not at our expense. You see, when you get to behold Jesus, and when you get to see how marvelous and how beautiful and all-sufficient He is, it's not at your expense. It's not because you kept praying so hard. It's not because you memorized scripture. It's not because now you're attending church. It's never at our expense, but it's at God's expense that we get to behold His beauty and His glory. And it should change us. You know, what's funny is um, we, after watching Hamilton, um, I realized that, man, when you watch something that incredible, it changes you. Because I, I, I confess, like literally the next day, I think my wife was at work and nobody was home. And we have a, we have a what is that, Alexa? What is that called? That Echo. We have an Echo. I caught myself. 
I caught myself saying, Alexa, turn on the soundtrack to Alexander Hamilton. And I was like, oh man, I hope no one saw that, right? And I was like, what is going on with me, right? That's not who I am. I was like really ashamed of myself for a little bit. And, but I, I realized that that's what happens when we're in the presence of something awesome. And I just feel like a lot of times we live our lives just with temporary glories. We think, oh, if I just have that, or if I could just chase after that, it would be glorious. And we just chase after temporary glories when an eternal glory is waiting before us. When Jesus is wanting to lead us so that we can be led and and behold who he is. You know, Peter got to witness incredible ministry, right? Peter was the guy who actually walked on water with Jesus for a few seconds. You guys remember that? Peter was there for probably every miracle that Jesus did. Peter was there probably when they fed the thousands with just a few loaves of bread and it multiplied. Peter was probably there when Jesus healed the blind. Peter was there when when Jesus calmed the storm. Peter was probably there for all kinds of miracles and ministry. And if I was Peter, and if I got to write a book, Peter had two books in the Bible. If I was Peter and I encountered all of those miracles and all that ministry, I would write something different than what Peter actually wrote. I would write a book on how to walk on water. I would write a book on how to, how to multiply bread with no oven. You know what I mean? Like I would hashtag all these things of miracles and ministry, hashtag bread for days, right? Hashtag walk on water. If I got to write a book, I would talk all day about the miracles and the ministry of Jesus. But then I read Peter's book. I read 1 Peter and 2 Peter, and he never talks about the bread. He never talks about the storm. He doesn't talk about the miracles, You know what it talks about? The majesty. It says in 2 Peter 1, 16 through 18, I think we have a slide. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus, but we were eyewitnesses of his, not miracles or ministry, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty because Peter had beheld something more glorious than miracles, more glorious than the impact of ministry. He saw Jesus. Verse 17, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, and said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Isn't that incredible? Like, think about it. If you were with Jesus and you experienced thousands of miracles, I guarantee you and I would would talk about the miracles. If you and I got to do the kind of ministry Jesus did with Jesus, we would talk about the ministry. But Peter talks about the majesty. He says, he says, the miracles are secondary. Amen? Ministry is secondary. And what's central is to know the majesty. To see how beautiful he actually is. Rooftop, I pray that you do incredible ministry and see incredible miracles. But at the end of the day, I hope what you shout from the rooftops is his majesty. That what you tell the city of Brea is not just what ministry is happening. You don't talk about programs here. You talk about Jesus. And you talk about Jesus in such a way that the, the, the city of Brea would hunger and thirst not to be part of your program, 
but to know this Jesus you talk about. That he's majestic. He's beautiful. And I'm telling you that in beholding Jesus, we become like Jesus. It's in our beholding that there is a transfiguration for us. It's in our beholding Jesus, we become like Jesus. We don't become like Jesus. And parents, hear me out. Because you are a living model of what Jesus is to them. Whether that's a a right picture of Jesus or not. Your kids, my kid, my son is looking at me. And one day he's going to start to see a picture of God. But how I live my life. And, And what and who we become depends on what we behold. It's in our beholding that we have a transfiguration. You might think I'm making this up. I actually... Just pull stuff from scripture. This is what it says, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding. You see that? Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That word being transformed is the same word that Mark uses, a metamorphose. It's the same word of transfiguration that Mark uses. In other words, what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth is that as we behold the glory of Jesus, we are being transfigured. We are being changed. We are being transformed. We are uh, not going to be the same person we used to be simply because we've beheld how beautiful and glorious he is. Pastor Tim Keller, he says that we must worship Christ with the help of the Holy Spirit, adoring him until our hearts find him more beautiful than the object we felt we had to have. And as we do that, we will put to death our old flesh nature clearing room for the fruit of the Spirit to grow, and we will find that fruit growing and changing us more and more into the people we long to be and God desires us to be. So as we behold, Rooftop, you become. So let me ask you, Rooftop, what do you behold? What have you beheld lately? Where do your eyes turn to? Where does your heart gravitate towards? What do you behold? Who is it? What is it that keeps pulling at you? And what is it that you're looking at? And what you behold is what you become. And we're fighting against all of these uh, temporary glories in life, right? Temporary pleasures in life. And I think I would agree with C.S. Lewis that our issue is, is that our issue is not that. Um, uh, the, the issue is that we're so easily satisfied in, in, in life. We're so easily satisfied that we miss out on the greater glory. He says this. He says that we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he has no idea what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. He says we are far too easily pleased. I think about my four-year-old son. It would be like him playing in the sandbox in the backyard of someone's house and so satisfied because he has no idea what it's like to be at Huntington Beach when there's so much sand that you can't even count. I think that's our issue. We're so easily satisfied that we miss out on beholding our greatest treasure. So be led by Jesus and behold Jesus Robert McChain, he said, each time you look at yourself, 
take 10 looks at Christ. You ever notice how much we look at ourselves? I confess, I look at myself a lot. Every morning at least. And you ever notice though that you can only look at yourself so much? You ever know like, go to a mirror next time and just look at yourself, just stare at yourself. And you're going to realize that there's only so much you can do. And if you actually like do a lot of that, there's something wrong with you, you know what I mean? But, but for normal people, there's only so much of ourselves we can look at. So each time you look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ and see how beautiful he is. Be led. Behold. Last but not least, be loved. Be loved. Be loved. We've taught, you know what your number one assignment and primary assignment on earth is? It's not to make an impact. Your primary assignment on earth is not to be successful. Your primary assignment on earth is not to love God and try to love others more. Your primary assignment on earth is to be loved. Is to be loved by God. Because when you first understand that He first loved us, then you could love Him. And then you could love your neighbor. Then you could love your church. Then you could love the city of Brea. But unless you are allowing space for God to love you, you cannot love Him. Your first assignment, your primary assignment, rooftop, if there's one thing you do for the next five years, it's this, be loved. Be loved by God. That's your number one assignment. You know, on this mountaintop, it says, and there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus, and Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Now, you got to imagine what's going on. Peter, James, and John are there, and, um, and, and Jesus transfigures, and there's Moses and Elijah. They just all of a sudden popped up, you know, from the Old Testament. They, they came out, and then, and then Peter says, Rabbi, it's good to be here. Like, you guys know people that just should not talk sometimes? You know what I mean? Like, I wish I, wish I could see the reaction of James and John. I, I would have said, Peter, you just wasted five seconds of my life. That was, that was not profound. That, was, that didn't even make any sense. Why would you say that, you know? You should just not talk at all. There's some commentaries that's so funny. Some commentaries say maybe he's talking about the Old Testament, you know, when he talks about we should build tents and all these things. Maybe, they, maybe he's talking about the Old Testament tabernacle. But I actually agree with Mark. You know what Mark says in verse 6? For he did not know what to say. I like that. I'm going to go with that. I just think Peter did not know what to say. And instead of just staying quiet, he's like, i got to say something. It wasted my life, right? But he says... It's good we're here. And it's like, no one says that's awesome. Or it just, you know, like Mark just moves on. But there was a voice that meant something. And it was the voice from God the Father. It was a voice from heaven. A cloud overshadowed them and even Peter's comments. And the voice came out of the cloud. And this is what the voice said. The Father said, this is my beloved son. Talking about Jesus. This is my beloved son. You know why that's so interesting to me? I I searched the scriptures and I realized that the father only uh, uh, spoke to the son two times in all the scripture. At least two times that we know about where he literally broke through the heavens and wanted to say something to earth regarding his son. And there's, there's only two times. You guys know what the other time is? It's at the baptism of Jesus. And when Jesus was baptized... The Father broke through the heavens, and the voice that came from the heavens was this. This is my beloved Son, whom I'm well pleased with. 
And then here in Mark chapter 9, he, he again says, this is my beloved son. In another gospel says, whom I'm well pleased with. And if you guys haven't caught on by now, he said the same thing. Two times, only two times he decides to speak. And he just says the same thing. If I was like a board of advisor up in heaven, I would have said, you should say something more. You said that. You said it at his baptism. We get it. This is your beloved son in whom you're well pleased. Say something else. You know, this would have been a perfect time for the father to speak into earth and say, this is my beloved son because. It would have been a perfect time to talk about why he loves his son. Because, because he is so uh, perfect because of all the miracles that he did and all the ministry that he did. It would have been a good time, him as a father, to speak into earth and brag about the performance of Jesus and the perfection of Jesus. But the father, you got to hear me, the father doesn't speak about his performance or his perfection. He speaks of his position. He just says, this is my son. And that's it. And I love him. He doesn't say, this is my son in whom I love. And I'm pleased because, of, because he heals the sick. Because he calms the storm. He just says, no, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You know, I as a father, think, I, I think I would have said something different. I think if it was my second time to speak about my son, I think I would have taken that time to brag about my son. Some of you guys here that are dads probably know this feeling that any moment your, any moment your son shines, you want to Instagram that, right? You want to talk about that. You want to brag about that, right? Like if I had any opportunity to brag about my son, Benjamin, I would. Like I'm still waiting for reasons, but I, like if I, if I had found one thing to be like, this this is so good. I would say, look at my son, Benjamin, in whom I'm well pleased, my beloved son, because he can use chopsticks at age four, because he could finish a Costco hot dog at age three, because he started walking at nine months. It would have been a perfect time for the father to brag about his son's performance. But the love of the father is never based on the son's performance. It was always based on the father's disposition and the position of the son to the father. And I just want to share this good news with you that when God loves you, it's not based on your performance. It has nothing to do with how good of a parent you are. It's not, doesn't, doesn't matter how much you serve or how less you serve. There's nothing that can change God's love for you. It's not based on your perfection or your performance. It's based on his pleasure. It's the disposition of God that he just delights in you. Rooftop, I want you to think about the worst thing you could ever do in your life. The worst thing. Things that you can't even say out loud. I want you to know that God still loves you. That you're the beloved of God when you're standing with Christ. Because when you're standing with Christ, you see what happens is that when you put your faith and your trust in Christ, Christ covers you in such a way and your life is now hidden with Christ in such a way that when the Father sees you, He doesn't see your sin. He sees His Son. Amen by myself. That's good news. That when the Father sees me, He doesn't see my sin. 
he sees his son in me. And he says to you, brother, sister, you are my child. You are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. And that changes us. Be led, behold, and be loved. The Father's love has nothing to do with what you did or what you can earn. It's just who He is. It's the unconditional love of God. There is nothing you can ever do to make God stop loving you. And God loved us first. Our job is to be loved by God. In 2016, my wife and I, we adopted our son Benjamin from Korea. And um, the other week, I, I took him to um, a playground, an indoor playground, and he, was, he had winter break. And so we, we spent some time there. And then uh, about like 15 minutes in, you know, playing, you know, with all the other kids were just so busy playing in the playground, he came back to me and he said, Daddy, I'm hungry. And I said, what do you want? And he looked at the Pringles, the sour cream and onions, you know, the green Pringles. He looked at that and he said, I want that. And I'm like, are you sure you don't want to play? Like when all the other kids were playing, he just wanted to eat Pringles. And I'm like, are you sure you're not my biological son? Man, that's like, that's like what daddy would do. You know what I mean? Like I'm so pleased right now. And then, and then so I bought him these Pringles and I thought he would like share with me because he said, daddy, I want to sit on your lap. And that doesn't happen a lot. You know, daddy, I want to sit on your lap. And so I'm like, yeah, sure. And so I, I had him sit on my lap and he ate all the Pringles by himself. <laughs> But as, as I'm watching my own son eat all the Pringles, I was so pleased. I was so uh, just full of joy as I thought about how far we have come in our relationship. So I want to show you a picture. When my wife and I went to Korea to adopt our son Benjamin, it didn't start off on the right foot. This is how it started off right here. That's how it started off. He hated us. He didn't even like us. He hated us. He didn't want to be with us. He didn't want me to touch him. He didn't want, me, he didn't want us to hold him. And the way adoption works is that we don't look, we don't wait to see if, if, if you know, let, let's see if he's, he turns out to be a really cute boy. Let's, let's see if he's going to, has a lot of potential to be in a doctor and, a, you know, all the Asian, what is it, lawyer and, what is it, just those two, doctor and lawyer. Let, let's see if he, let's see if he can be a doctor and a lawyer one day. We, it wasn't based on his personality. It wasn't based on his, you know, on his looks. It wasn't based on anything. Simply what happened was when we chose to adopt Benjamin as our son, it was a decision to love him first. It wasn't a, it wasn't a decision to see, hey, let's see if he would love us first. Or let's see if there's a mutual connection. We said, we will adopt him whether he loves us or not. Whether he likes us or not, and we actually got the extreme, he hated us. Whether he hates us or not, mom and dad will choose to love you. Not because you're so cute, which you are. Not because you have an amazing personality, which you do have. And not because you have a lot of promise, which I'm still not sure. But simply because of our disposition we choose to love you first in hopes that one day you will love us. And you know what the Bible says about us? That we were adopted by God. God loved you, not because he saw so much promise in you. He didn't, he didn't adopt you because you were so cute and so successful, in which that might be true, but he just chose to love you first in hopes that one day you would know and love him. Your primary assignment 
on earth is to be loved by God. Brendan Manning, in the book called The Ragamuffin Gospel, he says, My deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ, and I have done nothing to earn it or deserve it. My deepest awareness of myself. We've thought, I pray that would be you. That your deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ, and I have done nothing to earn it or deserve it. You know, John, who was on the mountaintop, you know what he says about himself as he writes scriptures, as he writes his gospel? You know what he says about himself? He calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. He doesn't say the disciple whom Jesus used. He says, I am the disciple whom Jesus loved. Because when you talk to John about his relationship with Jesus, here's what he will say. Jesus loved me. Jesus loved me. And I pray, Rooftop, that would be you. And when we talk about Jesus, you would say, Jesus loves me. To be loved. Be led. Behold. Be loved. I want to close with this last verse here. Mark chapter 9, verse 8 says, And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone. There was Moses and there was Elijah, but they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. They didn't see Moses, and they didn't see Elijah, but Jesus only. When I first read that, I'm thinking, like, what, what does that mean? And then I began to realize that Moses and Elijah actually represented something in scriptures. That in the Bible, they actually represented something. Moses represented the law. He was the great lawgiver. Elijah was the prophet. He was the great prophet. I realized that Moses and Elijah were on the mountaintop with Jesus because they represented the law and the prophet. And I realized that when they started to fade away and all they saw was Jesus only, it's because the law and the prophets were, had one main job and it was to point to Jesus. That when you read the law and when you read the prophets, everything pointed back to Jesus till the point where all you see is Jesus only. All you see is Jesus only. And when God is leading you, he wants to just point you to one thing, is to see Jesus only. Rooftop, be led, behold, and be loved. I'll close with um, just reading you a line from this old hymn, and you guys may have sung this before at one time. But it's a song that says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Anybody know this song? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and peace. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and peace. Rooftop, may that be true of you. That when you see Jesus, everything will grow strangely dim until you see Jesus only. Would you bow with me? Father, what a special moment and special day this is as we celebrate um, five years of Rooftop Church. Uh, There are many members here. There might even be some visitors here. I thank you for the ways in which through your scripture have reminded us of what is central to Rooftop Church. That more than impact, you long for intimacy. That everything that happens in Rooftop and all the incredible things that you want to do will lead and point to one thing, and that's Jesus only. I pray that you would turn our eyes, God, 
turn our eyes and fix our eyes not on the things that we're so easily satisfied with. Turn our eyes from the things that we're so easily led by and help us as Rooftop Church to be led by Jesus, to behold Jesus, and to be loved by Jesus. And I pray that you would send us out and let that echo in our lives this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you give a big thank you applause to Pastor James? I hope you guys were able to catch all the little nuggets that he was uh, able to share with us today through preaching of God's word. Thank you again for the wonderful encouragement. I will never forget these three words or three phrases. To be led, to be hold, and to be loved. Let that be the mark and what we strive for in the year six as we journey out together as a church together. Amen. This time we had um, uh, we, we did this for a couple of years now. We, we thought it would be wonderful to hear and to honor and to celebrate and to note, make note of what God is doing in our midst. So uh, we, we, we titled it "My Story," and we get to uh, get an inside track of uh, what God has done and how God has led individual members of this church. And today we have a wonderful privilege to hear from one of our very own. And we were. Uh, Pastor Tav and I, we were praying through uh, who, who this person should be and what kind of stories, female, male, new member, old member, you know, all these things. And we thought, you know, we would love it for this anniversary that we would get a story, get to hear the journey of someone uh, who had been with us from the very early stages of our church, from the very inception of this church. So uh, he's one of our board members. He's one of the original planting members of the church. He does so much for Rooftop Church. Uh, you just saw him earlier in the be- beginning portion of the service. Uh, Jonathan Kim will come up and uh, share his story with us. Would you please help me welcome John Kim. All right. Um, yeah, so Pastor Scott asked me to kind of share a little bit about my, I guess, opinions on rooftop. Um, he told me I don't have to hold back, so. Um, but um, I'll start with kind of why I joined rooftop. Um, when that call came from Pastor Scott of like that he was actually going to start rooftop, uh, I did wrestle with it a lot. Um, it wasn't an easy decision, but what really, what, what came down um, to help me make that decision was Um, One part was the missional aspect. Um, I wanted to kind of, I saw a church plant as sort of, you know, it's very missions focused. I mean, we are going to a different area. It's not far, but, you know, it's somewhere else. And um, that excited me a little bit. And so that kind of piqued my interest. And then the other two points kind of really solidified the decision of, one, the idea of starting from scratch not knowing what to do, for some reason that I was really drawn to that. I wanted to have that experience um, with churches. And so um, that was another point. And then finally, just, I actually was excited about the unknown. Um, Like, I knew that going into this, there's no plans. You know, when Pastor Scott kind of was, even in our initial meeting, there's really no like, here's our, like, five-year plan. It was just more like, do you want to join, right? And so that, those three things just really helped me join 
this uh, this church and coming out coming out here. And so when we started in the beginning, it was, obviously it was very shaky. We had to rely on sort of what we knew. Um, a lot of a lot of the initial members came from one church, and so we kind of started with what we knew. What we did at that church, we just kind of implemented those things right away. It was sort of an all-hands-on-deck atmosphere. Everyone did everything, um, even p- things that we weren't experienced with. We just kind of jumped in and did that. Um, and then just kind of looking from when we started and uh, until today, um, I, wanna, I was thinking about what were, what were some of the highlights that really kind of spoke to me in these past five years. Uh, w- one big thing was that there is a lot of life Events that occur through our church, um, through our various members, uh, we've experienced new re- new relationships. There are marriages. There are tons of babies, and um, you know those are all just really wonderful things to be witness to in our in our members. Uh, on the other side of it, though, there's we've experienced loss of loved ones. Uh, we've also experienced broken relationships at this church. And then struggle, struggles of conceiving, right? All those things combined, I just take it as one big blessing. I think that's, that's important to take the good and the bad. And the fact that we had it, and the fact that everyone was a part of it and part of that journey in everyone else's life is something to really cherish. And I hope that we as a community continues to mature in that area as well. And we want to make sure that whoever comes in through these doors is comfortable with who they are and what they're bringing. Um, And then just the other things, just kind of, um, you know, children's ministry, I'll highlight that one. You know, in the beginning, it was just like uh, two rooms and kind of we, we threw like Esther and Jonathan Beck at it and they just had to do whatever they did. If you fast forward to today, I mean, we have a children's pastor. We have, like, a pretty rigid program, I, I think. <laughs> and um, it's very organized. I mean, ton, tons of kids. So that, that, was, that was a blessing to see. Um, for me personally, I had an opportunity to take over uh, Blocks. That's our small groups ministry. It's something that, that, that was not in my wheelhouse. Um, it's just something that was asked. It was an opportunity. And so I decided to, okay, like, let me try it out. And... Um, there, there was a lot of struggles with it and it challenged me a lot, but I think I was very blessed going through that as well. I think it taught me kind of, okay, what, what really is block, what blocks means to this church. And then also in terms of just the, the lesson building, I think that is something that I'll take with me as well. So, um, the opportunity to try new things was something that I will also take with me, and I hope I have more of that as well. Um, I know I'm back on worship, but who knows? Like maybe a year down the line, I'll be doing some, something else, uh, welcoming or something. <laughs> and then um, finally, uh, looking at the leadership team today, I, I've noticed that most, a majority of the leaders were not the initial um, people that came. Um, they're all, or most of them are, are, are members that have joined after we started. And that is a very positive thing in my opinion. I don't think the initial um, members that started this church, um, it, it wasn't our goal and shouldn't be our goal to always be the leaders. Like, it, we need to start passing the baton and 
um, allowing God to use the new members that have come to this church, the new members that he's gifted us, and sh- let them show like what gifts they have and why they are here. So that was a big highlight. Um, obviously, with all the highlights, um, there have been low lights, um, and I want to share that my experience with that as well. Um, the, the obvious one is, you know, we've, we've dealt with departure of members, and, and through each of those stories, there are things to be learned as well, um, whether it's personnel issues or things that we could have done differently or whatnot, or if it, you know, it's just, it was just meant to be. But, um, yeah, we've gone through that as well, and hopefully we've, we're, we're learning through all those things as well. And then one big thing for me is, we're, um, for me, I, I felt that we're, trying to, we're holding on to our past successes. Um, so whether it's from your own experience with church or what, what worked in the past, um, you know, we, we have this opportunity to really build something here. And obviously God brought us out for that reason. And so the hard part is to let those things go and to really take this time. And we are fairly, I mean, we're five years and that's not a lot. It's, we're still very new. And that to take this opportunity at this time is important. And I feel like that is going to be a challenge that we're going to all have to get over and to really seek out um, what really God has in store for a rooftop and not what we've done in the past, right? And so um, opportunity to try new things is, is going to be something that I'm going to continue to do. So where are we today? Um, I think that we're, we're still, as a church, again, I mentioned we're young, and we're still, I think, struggling to find our identity and our purpose even. Um, it's been five years, and we still don't really have that, um, a good grasp on that, but I think it's okay. Uh, there are two things that have come to light, in my opinion, that God is really highlighting in us. Is One is generosity, and two is community. I think in those two areas that we just naturally have come to grow in those areas and we, we do it well. And I'm excited to see the other areas that God's going to reveal to us. And um, the last thing, just, you know, the challenge now, I think, for us, and for me especially, is to move on from the questions of why to the questions of how. Um, through kind of our challenges and milestones, I've always, my first questions have always been Why? Um, when we had to move from our initial Anaheim location to Brea, which is even further from where we live, uh, it was a question of why. Why are we moving to Brea? I thought our mission was focused in Anaheim. You know, when we implement new things or um, whatever, it's always a question of why. Why are we doing this? Why, why, why? I think we need to come to a point, um, and I'm talking to myself, we need to come to a point where it's not about why, we're five years in, it's about how. In terms of how do we love our community more? How do we uh, pray for each other more? You know, like we know what to do. And so it's just a matter of asking God, how do we do those things? And instead of the why. And so um, I'll finish with this last thing real quick. I'm sorry, I took so much time. Um, As I was, when Pastor Scott asked me, in terms of, of sharing my story, uh, God kept putting the story of the triumphal entry of Jesus into my head, and I couldn't shake it off. So I, I was like, okay, like, what do you want me to share from that? And I thought about it. So there's an aspect of the owners of the donkey, right? Like they had to let go of their donkey. So is, is that it? Like are, are, are we being challenged to let go of things for God? 
Um, there's also the crowd that cheered him on, cheered Jesus on as he rode in. You know, there's expectations from the crowd. Not everyone in that crowd, I think they weren't in the same mindset. Obviously, some people were, all, they were celebrating the Messiah coming, but some other people in the crowd were probably excited to see God, this, this man, Jesus, to come and, like, free them, like, to, for them to, to save the Jewish people from, I don't know, the Romans or, or whatever. They saw them as sort of this guy that's going to change everything. So there's all these expectations. Now, was that it for us? Like, do we, is that the challenge for us? Not to have all these different expectations of Jesus? Um, those two things weren't it. What it came down to was the donkey itself. And I was asking God, so are you saying we're the donkey and that's kind of the message that you want to give me? And his answer was yes. Uh, for me, he was asking, I feel like Jesus was asking me, are you okay being the donkey? Donkey was, had a purpose in God's plan. It obviously, it was an animal and whatnot, but it did have a purpose. And without the use of the donkey, it wouldn't have fulfilled that, um, the complete prophecy because the donkey was specified. That was a major point in that prophecy. And um, when I was thinking about it, I, like, I was asking myself, am I... Would I be okay if, you know, all this time we spend at rooftop and working for, for something, like, am I going to be okay with if at the end of it, the pinnacle of our ministry is to the extent of being that donkey for God? Meaning, in that brief moment, Jesus was glorified by sitting on that donkey. And then after that, the donkey just was returned back home. And that was it, Right? Am I okay with that? Like, it, to equate it, is, am I okay if rooftop was built to save one soul? Am I okay with that? Is that Jesus' plan? Would I, would I be okay with that? And if I can't say yes to that, then I'm going to be, it's going to be a hard time. And I think um, that is a challenge that I put on myself, and hopefully um, it speaks to you somehow in some way too, but... Um, if we can just kind of simplify everything to glorifying God and whatever he asks of us, let that be, then I think um, we're going to be okay. So um, let me um, pray for us, if you would allow me, and I'll end my story. <laughs> God, uh, we thank you for um, just everything that you've done. God, we just want to say that we love you, and we know that we are loved by you. We know that you're a good God who has mighty plans for us. Um, whether in our eyes it's small or big, they are mighty. And we just ask that you continue to lead us, God. You continue to uh, show us what, what needs to be done. And in between those times of actual um, revealing of your purpose, um, even in those times, show us patience, um, show us joy. Um, allow us to just really enjoy fellowship with not only the community of Rooftop, but fellowship with you, God. And we just pray that you continue to um, bless everyone here. We're excited for what you will do in the future. And um, we have you to thank for everything. So, um, God, we thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, we pray.